we're going to be starting a new series today called God and Work. God and Work. And I once heard somebody say, I love work. I can sit and look at it all day. When it comes to work, some people say, I would work harder, but I'm saving myself for my next job. We want to examine this whole thing about work and what God has to say about work because work is a very important part of our lives. In fact, I suspect that every one of you here has something to do with work as far as your occupation is concerned. Either you are working or somebody is working and taking care of you. And so we need to understand what God is saying to us about work. So let's just take a little time today to establish the series. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to have different messages relating to creativity and work. What happens when you work and your work isn't working? When you're living hand to mouth. Then we're going to deal with finances. How do you handle the finances to do with your work? So let's start by praying, and then we'll move right into this series, God and Work, with today's message, Working, Working. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have so enabled us, Lord, to be here today, that we can hear your word. I ask you, Lord, that as I speak, that your word will be on my lips, Lord, and Father, that Everything I say today will be according to your spirit. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. As we're looking at this whole thing of work, the place that I want us to begin with is Genesis chapter 1. And verse 1. We heard that before, but I want us to go right there again. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this whole business of creating is a working thing where God actually formed the earth where he created things out of nothing. The, the Hebrew word for created is bara, which means to form, to fashion, to produce, to create. And so we're going to see how we have a God who is actually a creator. Originally, the word bara has the idea of carving out or cutting out. It suggests that creating is similar to sculpturing. Sculpting. The word fitly describes what God did when he brought things that weren't into existence in existence. And it also describes how God used the things that he brought into existence and caused that to shape something else. Scientists have been able to manipulate nature. And sometimes we, we blame scientists and say, you're playing God. But the one thing scientists cannot do as far as working is concerned is scientists cannot create a seed. 
that, that initial thing that creates everything else, that brings life into being. And so sometimes people say that they are creating things. And I heard the story about this woman who always wanted to create a nice cake. She wanted to bake a cake, but she couldn't do it the right way. And so she heard that you have some experts in baking cakes and they would create the cakes from scratch. And so she went to the supermarket and was looking around for scratch. God created the world from scratch because he is a fantastic person. He is a fantastic creator. He is the magnificent one. And as we look at this picture with the stars, we can see how God created things from the very beginning. In Genesis 1 verses 2 to 5, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good. And God divided the light from darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called light, called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Notice here that God... When he created the world, it didn't happen instantaneously. That God did it over this, this period of time. I'm, I'm not into this thousand day or long day. No, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that when God said, let there be light, I suspect that when he said, let there be light, immediately a spark of light went out and God watched that spark of light as it moved across the heavens and God looked at it and he was, was, was saying, wow, this is what I'm doing here. And God, God just saw the things moving out from his, his very words into being. But not only did God do that, but notice what the verse says. It says, then he separated the darkness from the light. And so that's what, what, as he watched the darkness being separated, you could see how God the creator was doing something fantastic. You see, sometimes when we hear God said, let there be light, and there was light, we think that, that that's all God did that first day. But he is a creative God. And we could see how as he created things, that they were coming into being from his very word. Then in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27, it says, The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. Notice the word that's used here. He actually planted the garden. When I was growing up, we lived in an area in Kingston, Jamaica, where we were the first family to move in that area. And so first family gets the best piece of land. So we had this house with a big, we had the biggest backyard in the whole area because apparently when these people were constructing the houses, they didn't quite organize it well. And so one house had some extra piece of land right there. And so I became the farmer. Now, when I said we have an extra piece of land, I'm talking about between here and about the second row right there. That, that, was, that was my farm. Don't laugh because I had 
callaloo. I had carrots. I had bok choy, tomatoes. I had yam. We, we, we had to put the yam at a certain corner, and then we'd have a stick, and the yam, the, the vine would roll up. I, I, I knew farming because I had my 10 square foot of land, and I planted everything there. I understand what it means when God actually planted a garden. So we have a God who is a worker. And Jesus Christ said in John chapter 5, verse 17, But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I have been working. So we have a God who is a worker. So if God is a worker, and God is all good, then it means that work has to be good. One more time. God is a worker. And God is all good. That means that if he is a worker and he is doing something that's all good, that work has to be good. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female he created them. So here we see that the creator, the worker God, created man in his own image. You know what that means? That God created man to be a worker as well. We were created to resemble the God as our Father. Most theologians call this passage in John chapter 1 verse 27 the cultural mandate because here God is actually saying to man, I want you to do something for me. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 says, Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. And so we see where God created man, and when he created man, he immediately gave him the responsibility to go and do something. Notice here that Adam was not in the garden, laying down on a bed of ferns, sipping coconut water, enjoying all the mangoes. When it comes to mango, let me tell you a story about my wife. I have a wife who loves mangoes. If anybody doesn't know, this is Dahlia. Last year, we went to Jamaica in the summer, and her sister, not this one, not Pauline, her other sister, she knows how Dahlia loves mangoes. And so what she did was she saved mangoes for about a week before we came. So when we came, the mangoes were just right. And here's what my wife did. She just put the mangoes on the table and started to eat. <laughs> if you have ever seen a woman eat mango, that's, and so she enjoyed the mangoes, and the following day we paid the price. <laughs> so Adam was not in the Garden of Eden just eating mangoes all the time. Adam was actually working. 
And sometimes we think that it's because of sin why Adam had to be working. The answer is no. Here we see that work is not the result of fall of man. It is not the result of sin. Let me say it one more time. Work is not a result of the fall of man, nor is it the result of sin. And so here we examine the cultural mandate. The cultural mandate that God has given to man to go ahead and I want you to work in this garden. We looked at it from Genesis 1 verse 28. The cultural mandate. It says, be fruitful in the next slide. Then after he said, be fruitful, he said, multiply. One more. Be fruitful. Then after he gave man the commandment to be fruitful, then he said, multiply. Then notice he said, fill the earth. Then he said, subdue it. Rule over it. And this slide that we have where there, there is a, a number of different things that God has, has given us about doing work. All of them has to be related to the occupation of man himself. Notice that there are different, five different commandments. It says, first of all, I want you to be fruitful. Next, secondly, I want you to multiply. I want you to fill the earth, subdue it, and I want you to rule over it. So God has given man a mandate. And the mandate was for man to work. Then not only did God give man a mandate, but he gave him the means of operating. He gave him a means of operating, which was the Garden of Eden. And apart from giving man the means to operate, he also gave him the mandate that you are not just going to work in this garden, but you are going to be on a mission. You are going to replenish the earth. And so as man replenishes the earth, notice that the Garden of Eden was not man's destination. The Garden of Eden was simply the starting point for man to work. Because what happens is that we think that if Adam did not sin, he would still be in the garden forever. And the answer is absolutely not. Because God said to him, I want you to replenish the earth. So if you, you look at this, this, these first two terms of being fruitful and multiply, sometimes we think that what it means is that we should just have children. And that is true. It means having children. Let me see the hands of all the parents. Okay. Is raising a family work? 
any parent knows that being fruitful and multiplying is actually doing some work. So God said, I want you to work this garden and I want you to expand what you're doing and fill the whole earth. No, sometimes when we, when we think about it, we, we are thinking that, well, Adam could have just stayed in the garden forever. But guess what? After a certain amount of people, the garden is going to be full. And you can't put anybody else in that garden if he's going to fill the whole earth. It's like when I was growing up in Kingston and, and we had a bad transportation system. And we had these minibuses. And what we would do is say we had a 15-seater. Well, the drivers would put a little piece of box in between two seats. And then somebody would sit on that. But then you would also stand in the 15-seater in the bus. And sometimes I'm going to school, and the bus is so packed. You have a 15-seater, you have about 25 people in that bus. I remember once going to school, and I'm leaning over like this in the bus, holding my bag. My hands can't hold on to anywhere. And so I have to brace my back on the roof of the bus to hold on. And I'm thinking, this bus is packed. Then all of a sudden, I hear them say, smalls up yourself. Some more people have to come on the bus. And so they're, they're saying, small up yourself so that more people can come on the bus. And I just big up myself some more. <laughs> it's because nobody else could fit on the bus. Well, guess what? It's the same thing with Adam. If Adam was being fruitful and multiplying, the Garden of Eden would never, ever hold all the people as he multiplied. So there is a cultural mandate. After this cultural mandate was given to Adam to be fruitful and to work in the garden, what we can see here is that there was this time when Adam sinned. And because of the sin of Adam, the fall established a new order, a different kingdom. Man's choice to disobey God and fulfill selfish desires inaugurated a spiritual death and the world system. So this kingdom of God that he created was based on trust. Trust in me, allow me to do the things that I will do for you because I know what are the best things for you. But man sinned. And so because of sin, work became drudgery. Work became painful. And because of this, this painful drudgery type of work that came in after sin, man lost his joy for working. That doesn't mean that work became bad. All it means is that work which is good was inflicted by pain, by sin. And sin caused work to be difficult. But God wants to redeem work for each and every one of us. So notice that the curse that God pronounces upon Adam when he sinned was directly related to his occupation, his existence as a worker. Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 to 19 says, God cursed the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat of the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face 
You shall eat bread till you return to the ground. So work is good, but sin made it painful. Sin made it difficult. So we're going to examine work today and in the next few weeks. And as we examine work, we're going to see what God wants for us as far as laboring is concerned. However, before we jump into talking about work, it's important for us to look at one more point about God and work. Work is important, but in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, On the seventh day, God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. The word used here for work is Shavat. And it means God abstained from work. God blessed the seventh day and he sanctified this day and said, I know that you're going to work, but I want you to rest on this one day of the week. This is the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. God said, look, on six days, I want you to do all your work, but on that seventh day, I want you to rest. My brothers and sisters, work is never going to be finished. I can tell you, if you think you can work until 2 o'clock, and I've tried it, I worked until 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Sometimes when I'm editing, I will edit right through the night until the morning. And no matter what you do, work is never going to be finished. So what God did was, he said, I want you to take a break from working. I'm struggling with that. Because I am a pastor here at Go Church, and sometimes it might be hard to imagine what would keep me working on things or go church until 2 o'clock in the morning, but it happens sometimes. This week it happened about two or three times. It's weird, but when it comes to organizing this and organizing that and organizing that, and then I teach. I teach at TCC, Tidewater Community College, and I teach a full load. I teach four classes twice per week, and so I have the, the whole business of preparing for my classes and taking care of that, and then... On top of that, I have a ministry, Fireworks International, where we have a film festival, and now is the film festival time. And in the whole business of organizing the films and sending films to different juries, it gets very hard sometimes. And what happens is, because I work out of home, then it becomes difficult for me to take a day off. And so Dalia has been very good in trying to help me to rest. But what happens is my rest day, which should be on Monday, inevitably I decide that, oh, yeah, I can meet with you Monday. I'm free. <laughs> and I start doing this and I start doing that. And before you know it, I said, I'm, I'm just going to go on the website and update the web page because we need to have a new sermon. And before I know it, I'm optimizing the website and I'm doing this. And I'm working again. And so I am... Um, still going through the stage where I'm learning to discipline myself to just rest. Because when we 
rest. What we're saying is that, God, I acknowledge that I am subject to you. And since you rested, I will also rest. You're making a statement that, God, you are my source, not my job. You're my source, and so I am going to depend on you to provide for me. When you rest, you are recognizing that you're not invincible, that you're not indispensable. And when you die, your job will probably cry over you. Your boss will probably come at your, to your funeral and, and mourn. And they're going to say, he was a, such a good worker. She worked, and she worked, and she never took a day off. And they're going to cry over you, and then they're going to put an ad in the paper. And then they're going to find somebody else who works and worked hard. So your body knows that you need rest, and God knows that you need rest. And so you should know that you need rest. And I should know that I need rest. Because if we don't rest, our body will rest for us. So we need to work with our whole heart. Moving back to talking about work. We need to work with our whole heart. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, it says, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And so God is saying, I want you to do whatever you're doing to my glory. And so when we work, we can see how it's possible for us to work and bring glory to God. And when we bring glory to God, what it means is that we are saying, Lord, you are magnificent. What, what else do we do when we, we, we bring glory to God? We, we worship God. And last week we had this message from, from Minister Marsha Staples that ties in with this message so well because she was teaching us that worship needs to be totally tied in with social justice. And here we're seeing that when we work, we are actually worshiping God because we're bringing glory to God. And bringing glory to God is all about worshiping. So we can worship God through our work. I have a little video right here that I want to show you that links this whole business of working and worshiping. Let's watch it. Work. Most of us spend over half our lives at work. Whatever it is you fill the nine to five with, planting crops, building cars, taking care of patients, teaching students, or running a business. Work is where most of life happens. For some, work is a drain. They dread Monday mornings, forcing themselves to struggle through because they need the paycheck, while many times feeling trapped and beaten down by their job. Some people love their work. They're good at what they do. It energizes them. It's a place of security, a place to chase dreams, desires, and success. At work, they find fulfillment. We often forget to connect our faith to our work. We don't consider the reasons God may have us at our job. We don't think about the purpose and meaning we could bring to our work. We simply focus on how it makes us feel. But what if we saw our work as an opportunity to worship? As Christians, we are called to serve Christ with our lives. 
For a few, that means working as a pastor, a youth minister, or a missionary. Others serve the church by teaching children or singing in the choir. But when Sunday is over, most of us return to our jobs outside the church. For us, our mission is in the marketplace. We may not be the kind of missionary who moves to the far regions of Africa, but around the conference table, around the water cooler, around the cubicle, we have an opportunity to worship the God who created us. He gave us skill. He gave us passion. He gave us work. When we do our jobs with excellence and integrity and diligence, it's an act of worship. We are displaying God's craftsmanship to the non-believing world around us. We are earning the right to be heard. We don't see a divide between Sunday and Monday, between the sacred and the secular. We've been invited into parts of the world that a pastor or a traditional missionary will never see. We have conversations with people who would never set foot in a church. Whether we love or dread our work, we choose to turn the focus away from ourselves and toward the mission God has for us. Church is not the only place we worship, and Sundays are not the only days in our calendars that have meaning. Every day on Mission for God brings us great joy. Like the heroes before us, we can be modern-day Noahs and Josephs and Peters who are called with a purpose. God has designed us. He created us to work and to worship. For us, work is worship. Work is worship. And so it's important for us to understand that as you work, regardless of the job you have, whether you are working as a pastor or you're working in the marketplace, that God wants you to reflect Him. God wants you to bring His glory wherever you are, to show the world that the other six days of the week, you still can worship. There's this story about this elder statesman. We all know him, Billy Graham. And he is a Christian that everybody respects. We, not just Christians, but he is somebody who has been called America's pastor. He has a mandate and people respect him. Well, he was coming back from one of these crusades and when he returned from this crusade, someone was there, a chauffeur, ready to take him in a limousine to his destination, which was his home. And 85-year-old Billy Graham came out and said, you know, one of the things I've never done in my life is drive a limousine. And this long-haired chauffeur said, no, you can do it. So he took off his hat and gave his hat to Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said, I'm going to do it. And he said, yes, yes, go ahead and drive. So Billy Graham got into the car, this limousine, and he started to drive. And before long, he was going down the road at 55 miles an hour on the highway. Then he was enjoying it so much that he started going at 60 miles per hour, 65 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour, 75 miles an hour, and the police stopped them. So this rookie cop came out and he looked and he saw Billy Graham, he looked across and he said, just one second, license and registration, he got Billy Graham's driver's license, went back to the car because he wanted to make sure it was real Billy Graham. So he went back to the car and called his boss, his supervisor and said, 
Sir, I know that sometimes we give special favor to certain people and we don't give them a ticket. Well, I have somebody very important that I just stopped. What should I do? And the supervisor said, well, let me know who he is. Is he the councilman? And he said, no, 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 he's much more important than that. He said, okay, is he, he, is he the governor? No, no, he's much, much more important than the governor. More important than the governor? You mean the pre you stopped the president? <laughs> and he said, no, he's more important than the president. Who could be more important than the president? The rookie cop said, sir, it must be Jesus Christ because he has Billy Graham as a chauffeur. When we work, we must be mistaken for Jesus. When we are on the job, people must look on us on the job and see us working and think that is Jesus Christ working there because you are reflecting his very glory. You're showing what a person who is filled with the power of the Holy Spirit should be like on the job. We need to reflect God's glory. God wants us to excel on the job. And so your task is to subdue the earth. In regard, regardless of what occupation you're in, you should be subduing the earth. You should be bringing the earth under the dominion of God, regardless of your field of occupation. God wants us to split the atom, not just create offsprings. Because God is saying, I have given you knowledge, I have given you wisdom, I have given you the wherewithal to do mighty exploits in my name. The Bible says, people who know their God will do mighty exploits. And God wants us on the job to bring his glory. Not everyone is called to vocational ministry. But every Christian is called to full-time Christian ministry. So even if you are working on the job and doing something else, you're a full-time mom. God has called you in being a full-time mom, taking care of your children, to work as if the Holy Spirit is living in you. If you are in a branch of the military, God is calling you to work on the military field as if he is living inside of you. If you're a banker, a CEO, if you're cleaning windows, God is saying, I want my glory to be shown in you. Now, obviously, there are some jobs that are not suitable for Christians. For example, I would have some difficulty seeing a Christian drug pusher. <laughs> I would have a difficulty seeing a Christian inside trader. But outside of those, those jobs that we know are against God's will, we want to see God's glory in you on the job that people will look on you and say, I have seen Jesus when I'm working here, because God is glorified when we put our all into the work that we are doing. God is glorified when we are honest, even when it costs us a promotion on the job. And sometimes we are in situations where we, we, we would compromise because 
compromising would get us ahead in the company. But God wants to be glorified when you do things like that. When you, when you say, I am not going to succumb to the, the, the snares of money, but I'm going to trust in God. And when God promotes me, I will be promoted, but I'm not going to do something that is against his will. God is glorified when we treat our co-workers with kindness and respect. Kindness is a thing that is, has gone out the window. We, we are not kind to people anymore. But God wants us, whether they are Christians or they are not Christians, God wants us to be kind to our co-workers. God is glorified when we approach our work prayerfully. When you go to work and you say, Lord, I don't know what to do about this problem, but I'm trusting in you to give me your wisdom for this job. Lord, I ask you to help me during this task. Help me during these negotiations with somebody else. God is glorified through those things. God is glorified when we avoid complaining. And one of the worst things we can have is a Christian on the job who is always complaining. God is not glorified through our complaints. But when you stand back and say, Lord, I want to show your glory. And I'm not going to complain even though things might not be going my way. God is glorified. God is glorified when we honor our bosses and supervisors. Or we sub and submit to their authority. And sometimes you will have people who are not godly people who are your bosses. And when you have people like that, you still need to be submissive to them. Paul was submissive to the government of the land, even though they were a government of the land who were persecuting Christians. But Paul still showed that he would respect the laws of the land. God is glorified when we bring light into darkness by refusing to use profanity on the job. Christians, you must not use profanity. Christians, you cannot be using words that will, when people listen to you, they're saying, that mouth is not a mouth of someone who is filled by God. You cannot be using profanity on the job. You have to show that your mouth has been touched with the call of God's word, that your mouth has been transformed. The Bible says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When your mouth has been touched by the call of the word of God, then you're not going to use profanity on the job. You could be on a job with a million sailors who curse and curse and curse. Do sailors curse? I, I don't know why I said that. But whatever your occupation is, if that is the culture of your job, you have to stand against the culture and say, I am going to bring glory to my God on the job. God is glorified when the work environment is bad, but you bring his presence into the workplace and you declare the kingdom of God is now here. I remember when I just came to the U.S. and I was working, we lived in South Florida, I was working at this television station called Caribbean Satellite Network. It was the MTV of the Caribbean. And I had just arrived in the U.S. and I decided that I'm not going to be as active a Christian as I used to be in Jamaica on the job. I'm just going to fly below the radar. I'm not going to announce that I'm a Christian. And one day, maybe about two months into me being there, there was this big argument between people. And 
It was tense. Everybody is, is, is just arguing against each other. And I looked at one of the guys who was their ace, and I said, come on, let's go for a, a, a smoke break. That's what they did all the time. I, no, he laughed because he knows that I never smoke. I've never smoked in my life. But when I said that, that released the tension. And he just relaxed and said, let's go just the same. He knew that I'm not going to smoke with him. So I stood away from him, his bubble, and the great wind is blowing that way because I don't want to have his secondhand smoke. So I'm here talking to Ace. And so Ace takes one deep breath of his cigarette and blow it and said, you're a Christian, aren't you? <laughs> Come on, man. I was trying to fly below the radar. I was trying to go incognito. I said, yes, I'm a Christian, but I never said that. He said, everybody knows. Because even though I wasn't saying it, I was living as a Christian, and everybody was able to see. And God is glorified when you can say, the kingdom of God is come here, and now I can help to change the thermometer, the, 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 the temperature in the place. I'm not going to be just a thermometer. I'm going to be the thermostat that will change everything about this place. And so God is glorified. God is glorified when your co-workers know that if they need prayer, they can come to your cubicle or your desk, and you will pray for them. On my job I, I, at TCC, where I'm a teacher, my students come to me, they come to my office and say to me, can you pray for me? Because they know that when they come to me, I will pray for them, and they will leave the office feeling as if something has changed. Because I am not a Christian when I come here on a Sunday morning, and it's different when I go to work. Because I need to glorify God through my work at all times. God is glorified when your children can testify that even though my mom was a stay-at-home mom or my dad was a stay-at-home dad, they taught me the things that I needed to learn and they have been good parents to me. God is glorified through that. God is glorified when your creativity expands your company's outreach because God has given you creativity and when you work with creativity and you show that you are someone who is blessed and your boss and your job is blessed because you are there. And when everybody else is losing sales, you are expanding your company's kingdom. God is glorified because people are saying, that Christian is bringing glory to God because he is bringing a presence in this workplace that I don't see anywhere else. God is glorified when you do not make work your aim or occupation your idol. He's glorified when the money is little, but you still trust him to provide for you as you work on the job. God is glorified when you work hard, and then after you have worked hard, you take a time to rest, showing that you are trusting in him, and you're going to give him the glory. I'm going to be wrapping up this message, but before I wrap up, I want to Bring a brief word for the unemployed or underemployed. There are some people here who don't have a job. There are some people here who have a job, but that job is not really making it. The ends are not meeting. 
We're going to be there for you. We're going to be praying for you. And I'm asking, I'm calling Go Church to a time of prayer this month of September. I'm going to ask that we pray for everybody who is unemployed. At the end of the service, we're going to provide you with some little index cards. And if you are unemployed, we want you to write your name on it. Because we want to pray for you. We want to break this thing. If you have been working and you've been trying to get a job and you've been applying for jobs and it's not working, we're going to be praying. We're going to be dedicating special times at our month of our weekly prayer meetings to pray for you. But the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And so this week, at our Thursday prayer meeting, we're just going to dedicate a time to just seek God's face. Before asking about the jobs, we're just going to seek God's face for you. We're going to seek God and ask Him to show us His will. But we're going to be breaking through in prayer for every single person who is unemployed or underemployed. No word for the persons who are employed, but you are unfulfilled in your jobs. Your job is a drudgery. That's not how God intended it. He wanted to have work a joy. He created you to work and enjoy the work that you're doing as you're worshiping Him. We're going to pray for you as well. If you are working on the job and it's a drudgery for you, I want you with these cards that we're going to give out at the end of the service that you simply write your name on it and tell us that my job is keeping me down. Finally, I want to say something to those of you who do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The Bible tells us that God created us to enjoy His presence even as we work. But because of sin, because of what Adam did, because of what happened with that first man and woman, sin entered into the world. God wants to bridge that gap. And so as we have been talking about, about work, you're still separated from God and you, and you could work from now until then. You could, you could do whatever you want to do. You're still going to have this separation and God wants to bridge the gap. If you are not a Christian, we want to pray for you this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here this morning who do not know you as Lord and Savior. I ask you, Lord, that you would touch them. Lord, your word says it's appointed unto man once to die, but after death, the judgment of God. Lord, we don't want to be going about our lives, working, doing a good job, and then after we have done a good job, we lose our very soul. So I pray for anyone here who is not a Christian 
My brothers and sisters, while our heads are still bowed, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand right now. We want to pray with you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, just raise your hand. The invitation is open for you. Don't go through life working, being a good worker, but not knowing Jesus. I'm going to ask everyone to stand. The Lord is good. He created us and He gave us a task. You're not going to all be vocational workers, vocational Christian ministers, but when people on your job are moving against you, God still wants you to live for Him. Heavenly Father, I pray for each of my brother and sister here today. I ask you, Lord, that you would come and you would just touch them, Lord, as they work. Lord, you have called us to work diligently. You have called us, Lord, to work creatively. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. I ask you, touch them with your spirit, Lord. Grant, Lord, that as we work, we would know what it is, Lord, to work as a Christian. That we would know, Lord, what it is to minister to others. So that your glory, Lord, would be seen wherever we go. Lord, I just ask you right now, bring your glory. Bring your glory, Lord. I ask you, Lord God, that you would just touch each and every one of us. And grant, Lord, that whoever sees us would experience your goodness. My brothers and sisters, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you his shalom, shalom, his perfect peace. Now go into all the world, and as you work, be ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that the Lord your God, Jesus Christ, is with you wherever you go, both now and forevermore. Amen, amen, amen. God bless you all.